Welcome to the Cars Deep and Wide podcast. This is episode eight with Bruce Ware. The doctrine of the Trinity is perhaps the most difficult and confusing truth in all of Scripture, yet it stands at the heart of Orthodox Christianity. Today, I have the tremendous privilege of having Dr. Bruce Ware as a guest on the podcast, and Bruce has literally written books on the subject. I'm confident he'll help us understand the doctrine better, and I also think you'll be surprised with just how applicable it is to our lives. Now, I had the privilege of getting to know Bruce during my days at Southern Seminary, and he still serves as a professor of Christian theology there. I have no doubt that this episode will stretch you and bless you. Can you start out by first giving us a basic definition of the doctrine and um, what we're talking about when we say that God is triune? Yes. <clears throat> well, of course, uh, the, the, the doctrine Christians have held all these centuries uh, is, is sometimes referred to as Trinitarian monotheism and uh, as opposed to Unitarian monotheism or polytheism, right? Mm-hmm. So polytheism would be, be a belief in many gods uh, Unitarian monotheism would be a belief in one God who is one person, mm-hmm. but Trinitarian monotheism is a belief that, that there is one God who is three persons, mm-hmm. and uh, Father, Son, and Spirit. So what you see in the doctrine of the Trinity is the necessity of maintaining both the uh, distinction of persons, where Father is not Son, Son is not Spirit, and yet the unity of deity, so the the, nat- the nature of the Father is, is the identically same nature as the nature of the Son, and the nature of the Son is the identically same nature as the nature of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So there's one divine nature that is fully possessed <clears throat> and uh, eternally possessed by Father, Son, and Spirit. So Father, Son, and Spirit are co-eternal and co-equal, because each uh, possesses the one undivided divine nature. That's the basic idea of the doctrine. Great. Well, can you help us understand where it's found in Scripture, um, where you would go to defend the idea, how it's in the Old and New Testaments? Well, I think you'd start where God started. I mean, I think the pedagogy of God, if if you see how he revealed himself, is to begin with monotheism. There is one God. And that is stressed, of mm-hmm. course, over and over again in the Old Testament, uh, both because it's true and also because Israel lived in a, in, in a culture, a broader culture, that was polytheistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every nation that surrounded Israel belief, believed in uh, many gods, but Israel alone affirmed one God. And, uh, and I think God knew they needed to to have that uh, deeply rooted in their understanding. So I think you'd begin with the Bible's teaching on monotheism that Mm -hmm. is clearly taught in both Testaments. It's also in the New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. 
Yes. You believe that God is one, you do well, uh, says James. And, uh, and the God who saves the Jews and the Gentiles is one, says Paul in Romans 3.30. So it's a New Testament doctrine as well as old. Mm-hmm. But then you realize that the monotheism of uh, Christianity is not a simple monotheism like you have with Judaism and with Islam, mm-hmm. where one God is one person. I mean, that's easy to understand. That's, uh, that, that's where we are, one nature, one person. Mm-hmm. Each one of us is that, so we can understand what that is. But uh, <clears throat> the monotheism of the Christian faith is not a simple monotheism. It's complex. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way we really came to see that is when Jesus came on the scene, both as sent from the Father, so he's distinct from the Father, but also as one with the Father, John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And uh, to Philip in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, In John 8.58, before Abraham was, I am. So we realize the Father is God who sends Jesus. Jesus is God as sent by the Father. And, uh, And yet there's one God. So that... That's really what gave rise to this, to the necessity of uh, un- understanding what became the doctrine of the Trinity, to affirm the oneness of God and the threeness as Father, Son, and Spirit uh, in a way that would uh, account for all of the Bible's teaching. So that's... Mm-hmm. You know, that's what the early church struggled so hard to do, and they, they finally... Uh, resolved that the way to account for the oneness and the threeness was by seeing the oneness as a oneness of nature, one nature, one collection, as it were, of all of the essential attributes of God in the one nature of God that is fully possessed by Father and Son and Spirit. And yet those three persons are distinct expressions of that one nature so the Father is distinctly a person who expresses that nature, the Son likewise, and the Spirit. So I think that's, that's what you have to do biblically, is show monotheism and then show the necessity of Trinitarian monotheism by focusing upon the deity of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's helpful. Well, some would say, we've, we've both heard this, um, this is a confusing doctrine, it's mysterious, the word's not in the Bible, therefore oh. it can't be that big of a deal. I mean, how would you respond? To, how would you respond to that? How does it oh my. impact our understanding uh, of the we gospel? We have no gospel without the Trinity. It's just that simple. Uh, you know, it's it really has struck me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more I've thought about this, is that you? It's not only that the Trinitarian God is the one who has saved us. Uh, but the only God who could save us is a Trinitarian God. Hmm. Because you have to have um, one who, as it were, remains behind, uh, who provides the basis by which judgment takes place and and uh, our, our, sin, our sin is dealt with by a just judge. But you have to have one who is the bearer of that sin. And, uh, but, that, but that, of course, requires humanity. Humanity as well as deity, 
So incarnation is thrown into this as well, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's the dual doctrines of Trinity and and incarnation, which uh, uh, are that come together in the gospel. Um, but then you also have to have the Spirit working in the incarnate Son, so that He can live a perfect life and go to the cross uh, sinless, uh, and uh, and and only then can He actually be a substitute sacrifice for us. So Father must send and be judge at the point of the uh, the the crucifixion of the Son. The Son must come, take on human nature, and the Spirit must empower that uh, uh, that that Messiah so that He can accomplish the will the Father has given Him uh, and go to the cross and die for sin. So, <clears throat> my goodness, the doctrine of the Trinity is uh, is is non-negotiable you know it is Mm -hmm. absolutely essential uh Mm -hmm. for christian faith okay you you sort of touched on this but could you talk a little bit more about the relationship between the persons of the trinity and and along with that that distinct from that the the role yeah well it is in that order i'm glad you asked the question the way you did uh relationship gives rise to role Mm -hmm. and and uh i think it's important to see that so the names Father, Son, and Spirit are not ad hoc. You know, it's not the case that somewhere <laughs> in uh, eternity past, these three nondescript Trinitarian persons uh, flipped a coin and <laughs> uh, and decided, oh, that one's going to be the Father, and that one's going to be the Son, and, and that one's going to be the Spirit. And maybe we'll switch it later. Uh, it doesn't work that way. It's rather that the Father is the eternal Father of the eternal Son, and Father and Son themselves are, are the ones who uh, who spirate uh, the Spirit, as it were. And uh, these are eternal relations that uh, really, really are reflected in what the Nicene Creed and uh, and the Constantinople revision of that in 381, what those creedal statements were getting at, mm-hmm. uh, was that the Son is eternally begotten by the Father, the Spirit proceeds from the Father. In the West, we added Filioque and the Son, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. so those are those are eternal relationships. Um, the The Father is eternally the Father, the Son eternally the Son, and uh, and that then gives rise to roles. Uh, the way I like to put it is is very simply, because the Father is the eternal Father of the eternal Son. The Father always acts in a way that befits who he is as Father. And because the Son is the eternal Son of the eternal Father, he always acts in a way that befits who he is as Son. Mm-hmm. So the uh, the acting, the roles that they carry out, are expressive not only of their divine natures. Of course, that's true. They always act in ways that utilize the abilities, the qualities of their divine nature, but they also reflect the the persons, the personal distinctiveness, hypostatic distinctiveness of who each is. And uh, I think that's a very important thing to see in in order to make sense of what we see in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, What would you say some of the main implications are of this doctrine? Can you talk a little bit about its relevance? Um, yeah, I can. Let, let me say, 
to, to get there, let me see a little bit more about the, the roles, I guess, um, in, in order to, to see sure. that a bit. Sure. <clears throat> uh, one of the things you see in the Bible that is depicting the way father is always father, and, and hence he acts as father, and the son is always son, and he always acts as son, uh, is the the uh, uh, relationship that the father has in directing the son. The father as the initiator, the father as the architect, uh, the mm-hmm. designer, the the one the one who uh, wills uh, what will take place, and the son uh, as agent of the father in carrying out what the father has designed, uh, implementing what the father uh, has has uh, put in place, and um, I think in that you see a. Uh, uh, an un um, an undeniable authority and submission structure, mm-hmm. where, for example, the father sends, and the son goes. Uh, the the father commands, and the son obeys. Uh, the father designs, the son implements, and uh, and you never ever in scripture find the reverse to take place. No, uh, you never see the son commanding and the father obeying, or the son designing. And the father implementing, you know, it's just, it's just always, I mean, what, what you see is the father always acts as father, <laughs> the, the son always mm-hmm. acts as son. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so in itself is really important in seeing some of the ways the Trinity then is relevant for our lives as well. So I'll, I'll just pick a couple things to, to talk about here. One is, I think you see uh, in the way the Trinitarian person's work uh, is a beautiful example of, of what uh, I and others um, as well have liked to call the harmony, the harmonious uh, workings of Father, Son, and Spirit. So even though <clears throat> there is, at one level, there is one work that God does, the inseparable operations of the Father, Son, and Spirit, yet each of those persons has distinctive aspects mm-hmm. uh, of that work that's carried out. And, um, and, and, you know, so they don't act, they don't work in unison. Uh, no. If you know what that means musically, you know, mm-hmm. they don't sing the same line of notes. They sing different lines of notes, but it, it is not discord either. So I think one of the most beautiful things about the Trinity is you see, a unity mm-hmm. that is not unison and a distinction that is not discord. And mm-hmm. what that is, is harmony, uh, where each, mm-hmm. each, as it were, sings uh, the appropriate lines of notes, line of notes that is given uh, to that particular person. And yet together, they, they do the one work that God, uh, God wants accomplished. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a beautiful example of how human relationships likewise should work uh, sure. in harmonious ways, uh, avoiding either the trap of unison uniformity, you know, mm-hmm. where everybody has to just do the same thing and act the same way and all of that, <clears throat> and the other side, avoiding the other side of, of a discordant distinction. Where there is discord and, and lack of unity and 
even fracturing and and um, uh, tearing apart, you know. Uh, so you, mm-hmm. you don't want that kind of distinction. You want a distinction that is not discord, but you also want a unity that is not unison. Mm-hmm. And I think that is just such a beautiful picture of how uh, relationships in the church should function and in a home should function. So I think that's what one one uh, vivid um, way you can see the Trinity as providing a model for how we should uh, conduct ourselves in human relationships. Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, we're we're struggling as a society, um, especially it seems like today. To how can we have unity? How can we all get along? And a lot of times, people think about theology and they don't think um, it's relevant, especially Trinity. But I think it's from what you're saying. It would do us all well mm-hmm. to understand the Trinity, and right, we might get right. along yeah, better. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, I, I love your book on the Trinity, but I also love um, yes. this book that I think is a gift: is Big Truths for Young Hearts. We've 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 used that with well two of our kids, and we're getting started on the the third. Um, how would you explain mm. this doctrine to a five year old? You know, for those who haven't haven't read the book, and with that, you you knew I was going to ask yeah, this question. Right, Is right. there any illustration well, I do, for I the do Trinity that's actually book, helpful? Um, that, <laughs> that really came to me when I was teaching my own two girls this uh, this doctrine when they were really young, and and uh, I remember just wanting so badly to have mm-hmm. some illustration that that would help them understand it, but all of the ones I knew. Were uh, were very good illustrations of one heresy or another, but, but, <laughs> yeah. but not not the best illustrations of the Trinity. So I didn't <laughs> use any for that reason, and was frustrated and and prayed and asked the Lord if there's something, uh, please help me see it. Well, this illustration came to my mind during the night one night. Uh, I got out of bed, wrote it down, so I wouldn't forget, huh. and I've used it ever since. Hmm. I I don't know if it. Uh, you know, if it's approved by God or not, uh, I'll find out someday in heaven. But uh, um, I, I do think it it does approximate uh, kind of the the model, you know, of of what you see in the Trinity. The illustration is if you have a whiteboard and you draw on it uh, a circle, say with a blue marker. You have on the board one circle that is encompassed by a blue line, and then you take another marker, say a green one, and overlap exactly the blue line and draw on the board now a green circle that overlaps the blue one exactly. Well, you still have in the board one circle, but that mm-hmm. one circle is both a blue circle and a green circle. And yet the blue line uh, is not the green line and the green line is not the blue line. Mm-hmm. Then you add, say, another marker, a red overlap exactly the green and the blue so you have on the board one circle. The red circle is the green circle. The green circle is the blue circle. But the blue line is not the green line, and the green line is not the red line. Hmm. So I think that that is something what you have to have with the Trinity is both the unity and equality of the three. So the nature of the Father is the nature of the Son, and the nature of the Son is the nature of the Spirit. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. So there's a distinct personal expression of that one undivided divine nature in Father and in Son and in Spirit. So I think that's where the illustration helps, is just get the basic 
kind mm-hmm. of, you know, That's structure helpful. as it were. Well, could you talk about prayer for a minute? I asked for, asked for some questions from Facebook friends and two things came up that I think touch on prayer, prayer within the Trinity and prayer to the Trinity. The former, if Jesus is God, why is he praying to the Father? The latter, can we pray to all three persons or just the Father? Right. Good. That was a mouthful, but... No, that's the, those are good questions, yeah. <clears throat> well, I think in the Incarnation, what you have is the, the Messiah, the Son of David. Uh, the, the, he is God. He is fully God. But he's also uh, fully a man. And as a man, he is trusting in the in the Father, uh, he is uh, um, he is seeking the Father's will. You know, he doesn't know everything. He's learning as he grows. Uh, when he spends all night uh, to pick his disciples, you know, or the night before he chooses his disciples, I take it that he prayed all night because he mm-hmm. needed to know what the Father's will was, and so he sought it until he until he knew what the Father had uh, willed for him to to do in choosing those particular 12 men. Um, so I don't think this is prayer uh, okay. within the Trinity per se, if you get my point. This, this is the messianic son who is praying to the father, okay. the son of David, uh, uh, who, who as a man is praying to the father. Now for us, <clears throat> I think the, uh, the new Testament is clear that the norm uh the the new testament norm is clearly to pray to the father in the name of the son that that acknowledges access to the father only through the son and to pray in the power of the spirit i i think that's that's clear from a number of places uh i mean jesus himself said pray this way our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name um, and uh, Paul prays, you know, in his prayers, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, and so on. And uh, and the Spirit in Romans 8 is, is the one who, who empowers our praying. We don't even know sometimes what to pray. And and the Spirit groans within us with, uh, with groanings too deep for words. I don't think uh, that relates to speaking in tongues. I think it relates to... Uh, the the spirit at work within us to to assist us in bringing to God uh, what what should be prayed, uh, and uh, <clears throat> and of course we have to go in the name of the Son. Our access book of Hebrews makes this clear. We have one mediator. Uh, well, this is First Timothy two five. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And Hebrews speaks of our our high priest who who uh, is the one who uh, represents us to the Father and opens the pathway for us to go. So prayer to the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Spirit is normative Christian praying. Now you do find in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, some select instances of praying to the Son. Uh, um, Stephen, in Acts 7, looks up and he sees the Lord Jesus, and he says to, to Jesus, receive my spirit. Uh, at the very the very end of the Bible, the next to the last verse, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, so I think there are times when it's appropriate mm-hmm. to focus on your request on the Son. Uh, probably the most, um, what, the most uh, 
rich example in the New Testament of praying to the Son is in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul, with a thorn in the flesh, prays three times to the Lord for the thorn to be removed. And I think that reference to the Lord, it doesn't say the Lord Jesus, but I think Lord is almost always used mm-hmm. of, of the Son of Christ. So I think that's a prayer to the Son, perhaps because in his suffering, he's looking to the Son who suffered so very mm-hmm. much for us, and hence he, and hence he prays to the Son. Um, to my knowledge, there is no instance uh, mm-hmm. in, the, in the Bible of a prayer to the Spirit. We pray in the Spirit, we pray through the power of the Spirit, but I don't see any instance in, in the Bible of praying mm-hmm. to the Spirit. Doesn't mean that would it would be sinful, you know. I'm not saying that. I just am saying we don't see it. We, we're not encouraged to go in that direction. So, yeah, it's, I think I think we got to follow the norm for the most part. But there may be exceptions, you know, in mm-hmm. with particular. Well, the doctrine uh, of the Trinity, you you mentioned this at the beginning, but it's been attacked since the beginning. Can you? <laughs> Can you talk about some ways that's been threatened by heresies and what we stood to lose? And what would you say some of the biggest threats are on the doctrine of the Trinity today? Yeah, well, you know, historically, through the history of the church, um, the the main threats have come from uh, either overemphasizing the oneness, and so you, you lose, really, the distinctiveness of Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, you, you can see that with... Uh, Arianism in the fourth century, uh, where Arius really—I mean, you—you know—he—he had—he had good intentions mm-hmm. in the sense that he wanted to uphold monotheism, uh, the belief in one God. But for him, the Father is God, period, and uh, and so you can't speak of the Son as the same God, homoousios as the word was used at the in the Nicene Creed you can't speak of the son as the as the same god as the father uh or or belittles the father in in Arius's view uh and it makes it makes uh, uh the father dependent upon having a son and, and he he just rejected that um so you have you know errors that go in the in the re, in the direction of rejecting the threeness, but then you have other error, errors that go in the direction of affirming threeness, but making them into different gods, and and so you end up with a kind of polytheistic or a, a number of gods that there are in the universe, and so that that's the distinctiveness of Trinitarian monotheism is one God but three persons, and uh, that that just needs to be upheld all the way to our own day with its, uh, you know, we, we have Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons uh, who make those same errors. Jehovah's Witnesses, they reject the threeness. And there is one God, Jehovah God, the one mm-hmm. God. And then Mormons, uh, they reject the oneness and they argue for multiple gods, mm-hmm. uh, as do so many of the religions of the world. So that's uh, that, in my mind, is the real challenge Christians continue to face is to mm-hmm. get the oneness and the threeness right. 
you know, biblically, to be biblically faithful to the Bible's teaching that there is one God, and yet the Father, Son, and Spirit each is fully God. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk just a little bit then about Islam. Um, the relationship between Islam and Christianity is talked about quite a bit today, and some would say, hey, we're all talking to the same God with different names. Um, how would you respond to that? But how does the Trinity get caught up in all that, would you say? Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting discussion. Of course, there, there's a level at which we're, we're talking about uh, we're, the subject is deity, you know, uh, as we talk with a Muslim. But are we talking about the same God? And the answer is no, absolutely no, because the only God that there is is the one God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. You cannot abstract out deity and leave behind the Trinity. That's impossible, uh, because the only God that there mm-hmm. is is the one God who is three. Uh, and then furthermore, uh, you know, I just think there are passages of Scripture that um, should resonate with Christian people that help us realize how wrong it is to think of um, Allah without a son. Uh, for example, in John 5.23, Jesus says that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I mean, those are really sobering words in this discussion these days For sure. Uh, on the topic of is the God of Islam the same as the God of Christians? And the answer is no. If they don't honor the Son, they do not honor God, uh, the Father who sent him. And uh, so we have to have to realize the Trinity is essential to deity, uh, essential to a correct understanding of who God is. There is no God that is not Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, that, that, that is who the true God is. So... Um, you know, we, we can talk about similar characteristics and things like that, but ultimately, we're not talking about the same uh, conception of God. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. Well, I hear there's some controversy over the Trinity today, and you've kind of been brought into the center of that. Can you help us understand what's going on? What are people saying? What's your view? Why does all this even matter? Well, it's hard for me to... to uh, summarize what's going on kevin because uh-huh. a lot of things are going on so it's it's a uh, uh-huh. but i think probably at the heart of it is a question of whether or not uh the view that i have articulated and wayne grudem is another um is is faithful to the um the ecumenical creedal statements of the church and uh i would argue that they are faith that our view is faithful to them i mean i hold everything that's in nicaea and constantinople and chalcedon uh, in Christology. Um, it, it's just that I, I think there mm-hmm. is uh, an emphasis that we're making that we see in the Bible that wasn't made by those creedal statements. Of course, they were they were dealing with ontology, with the question of the being of God as Father, Son, and Spirit. And, uh, and of course, that's very, very important. And, and I affirm everything that they stated in terms of the Son being the eternal Son, generated eternally from the Father, who is homoousius with the Father. Um, Amen to all of that. Uh, But there's also in the Scriptures not only the ontology of the eternal Son, 
but mm-hmm. the functioning of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And at, at, at that level, I think all that we are doing uh, is uh, amplifying or extending uh, the very notions that are in Nicaea. Because the Father is the eternal Father of the eternal Son, because the Father eternally begets the Son, because of that, the Father always functions as Father. That, that's really all we're saying. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet some are finding this to be um, a denial of Nicaea and, uh, and out of line with the Orthodox tradition. I, I'm sorry, I just don't agree with that. Uh, I, I don't see how saying something that fits beautifully with what they said uh, that is also taught in the Bible is a problem. I mean, the, the, the early creeds didn't talk about justification by faith. Goodness, if, are, are you a heretic to, to introduce that biblical idea uh, if it's not in the Nicene Creed? I, I just don't understand this logic. Uh, so it, it is uh, an understanding of the functioning of Father, Son, and Spirit that um, I believe flows just naturally and directly and biblically. Uh, when you look at all of the evidence in the Bible, flows biblically out of uh, the the uh, reality of the ontology of Father, Son, and Spirit being the uh, the one God, but as the Father begets the Son, and Father and Son bring forth the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is helpful. Just want to thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast, and it's been a blessing to get to know you and um, just be blessed by your teaching for quite a few years now. So thank you so so much. Well, you're welcome, Kevin. You're a blessing to me. I tell you, I'm so grateful for the ministry uh, that you're doing in Columbia, and and for your faithfulness to Christ and to your family. And I just pray the Lord will continue to uh, bless you and your in your church greatly. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I would encourage you, especially if you have more questions and who doesn't, to check out Bruce's book, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Relationships, Roles, and Relevance, that you can get at Amazon and everywhere else. It is such a readable, accessible, engaging book. I guarantee that you'll love it and it'll help you as you continue to sort out what this doctrine of the Trinity means and how it applies to our lives. Thanks again for listening to the podcast. I would encourage you, if you're in Columbia, Missouri, check out our gatherings on Sundays at 9 or 11, and we also meet at 10 a.m. in Jefferson City. Log on to carschurch.org and learn more about our church. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. I feel your hand upon my shoulders.